church family, I have somebody I want to introduce to you. This is Chelsea and Paxton Red. If you would give them a big New Work Fellowship welcome. I'm going to ask them a couple of questions, but really I wish I had the prerogative to introduce each one of you to them because here's the thing you guys need to know. These folks love their pastors well. They invest in us, they care for us, and, uh, and you're going to see that, that this is going to be the beginning of a blessing. Now listen, they have three young ones with them today, Ellie and Lydia and Ada, um, and we're not going to drag them up on the stage quite yet. We're going to wait till later when we have gifts to give them. That's the best way to bribe them to the stage, you know, uh, but we'll introduce them at the end of the service. Uh, Paxton, you know, the church has uh, heard me talk about kind of following the nudge uh, that initiated um, a conversation with you, but I thought it might be good today for the church to hear from you um, kind of about um, how God was confirming in your own heart uh, that this change was his will for you guys. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, and it's exciting to be here. Thank you all so much for, for being so welcoming and and so gracious to our family. Uh, as you saw in the, in the video, the introductory video, a couple weeks ago, this was not something that we were looking for. Uh, everything was, was pretty good in our world, and we weren't, weren't seeking another opportunity, uh, but we definitely had one of those nudges as well on our end. Uh, in, in fact, the night before we met the first time to, to go to lunch together, I didn't know that, that this was going to be an opportunity that God would open up. And in fact, I, the night before I told Chelsea, I said, uh, Man, I really hope he doesn't offer me a job. <laughs> she said, do you think that's what this is? I said, I don't know, but it might be. But I'm scared because I don't know what the answer would be that I would give him. Uh, and at that very first meeting, you said, hey, I, I want to talk to you about a, a, a nudge that I've got. And I'm just going to follow the nudge. And immediately, my mind went to a conversation that I had had with a gentleman in, in our previous church. And he told me, he said one of the strangest things anybody's ever said to me. He said, uh, you never know how far a frog will jump when you nudge him. And I laughed. I said, all right, you're going to have to explain. <laughs> he said, sometimes when you nudge a frog, he jumps as far as he can possibly jump. Sometimes when you nudge a frog, he jumps just far enough away to get away from the nudge. And other times when you nudge a frog, he just swells up. And I said, all right, what's the explanation? He goes, man, when God gives you a nudge, he said, you better jump, don't swell up. And so this whole conversation with, with Pastor Kevin and uh, in the days that followed, I've just been reminded of that conversation over and over, and the Lord just continued to keep on my heart, hey, are you going to follow my lead, or are you just going to swell up and try to have your own way <laughs> through this? And so it's been confirmation after confirmation and nudge after nudge, and here we are jumping and just trusting the Lord in the leap. Yeah. Well, man, we're excited that you're here, and of course, you're coming here from Liberty Point, good church, God's doing good things there, and we'll continue to do so, uh, but there is, there is a transition that you're in as well, um, stepping out of a lead pastor position, being part of the team, uh, team pastor. Talk to me a little bit about uh, any, any challenges that you, you see in that. You know, I, I don't think God calls any of us to easy. I, I don't think anything is supposed to be easy in following the Lord. Uh, so I'm not naive. I know that there are going to be challenges, right? There's challenges in every kind of ministry in every context. But 
at the same time, there, there are some good challenges along the way. The, so the challenges of, uh, of not being in the pulpit or not preaching as often, the challenge of a different context, the challenge of different people, different obstacles, uh, there, there are going to be those challenges. But let, let me share with you what, what I think excites me about those challenges. In, in Isaiah 43, God says uh, through the prophet Isaiah, he says, behold, I'm, I'm about to do a new thing. And I think the idea of what's in front of us being very different than what's behind us is exciting. And so I'm excited about those challenges that are in front of us. I'm excited about facing those challenges with a, with a group of people who are, who are ready to face those challenges and willing to say, hey, let's face these challenges with excitement or, or let's take this mountain that's in front of us and let's climb it together. And so as much as I'm excited of, about being able to, to follow the Lord and, and being able to follow those nudges, I'm, I'm really excited about what's in front of us because I'm not coming to new work to, to be a part of something like I've been a part of before. I'm not coming to new work to do something that I've done before. I'm coming expecting God to do things that we've never seen, uh, expecting to be a part of something exciting. All right. Thank you. Chelsea, your turn. <laughs> You've been dreading this all week, haven't you? <laughs> Chelsea, you have kind of the inside scoop and uh, you know Paxton better than any of us. Um, so I'm going to give you an opportunity right here. Just bust him in public. How's that? <laughs> no, actually, what is it that you wish these folks could know about Paxton? Because you, you know his heart. Um, a lot of things about Paxton you'll see. Um, but <laughs> look, he's nervous. No. <laughs> um, uh, I think it's important to know that he is genuine in everything that he does. Um, and he's intentional. Um, he's very thoughtful um, when he's talking to people. If he doesn't know something, he's going to go and take the time to figure it out. And I appreciate that looking at a pastor standpoint that, you know, he doesn't, um, he doesn't take anything lightly. He prays through everything. So I just want you guys to know that, um, that he's going to be genuine with you guys. He's going to be intentional in everything that he does. And he also puts his heart into everything. So um, we're blessed to have him <laughs> as our family because all of those uh, characteristics are very good for our family and our girls, but they're so important to the church too. So. All right. Well, listen, we just wanted to give you a quick introduction. You'll get to, to know them uh, in, in, a, in a deeper way in the weeks and months and years to come. But I thought on day one, um, let's as a church family, uh, pray over this family and pray that God would do a new work in their lives as well. Would you join me in prayer? God in heaven, I thank you so much for bringing Paxton and Chelsea and Ellie and Lydia and Ada our way. We thank you, Father, that you have worked in them, that you are working in them still, and that as we look towards the future, we pray that you would lay your hands upon them that this would be a place of great vision as they seek to follow you and to step in to the work that you've called them to. And Father, we pray for us as a church that each one of us would also recognize that our lives are before you. Father, speak to us, guide us, direct us, and help us to learn to listen to you ever more clearly. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you, guys. Well, you know, we've been talking about geography a little bit, spiritual geography, and geography matters. And, boy, geography matters when you look at uh, Paxton and Chelsea and their family. Lord, raise them right up here. 
We're in this series entitled, On This Very Spot, On This Very Spot. And uh, in that series, we have been reminded of what God was doing in this place. You'll remember in week one, God took Abraham as he went to the land that Lord, the Lord would show him. In week two, last week, we watched as Moses, through the Passover pointed all the nation to that spot. He called it the designated place the Lord chose to honor his name for all time. And today, King David, a man that the Bible calls a man after God's own heart, he pays the price for that place. And again, as we've seen in the previous messages, all of this that we look at today is going to point directly to Jesus. So open your Bibles with me today to 2 Samuel chapter 24, 2 Samuel chapter 24. And if we've not yet met, let me take just a minute to introduce myself to you. My name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so glad that you're here. And if we've not yet met, listen, and I'm going to be in the commons after this service and would love the opportunity to learn your name. One of the things we ask everybody to do every week is to fill out that digital connect card. Easiest way to do that, scan that QR code on the listening guide that you were given when you came into the room, and that's a place where you can share your prayer requests, where we can connect with you and so we invite you to do that now before we get to the message let me just remind you you know that easter is coming and that's what this series is building toward it's building towards easter and listen if things continue as they have so far in this year 2024 easter could really be something special um, this year get this to this point in the previous six weeks the previous six sundays of 2024 i've seen something i've never seen happen in January and February previously, and that is this. Three of the six Sundays that we've already had this year were in our top 25 attendance all time. Listen, that just doesn't happen in January and February. Three of the six weeks so far this year are part of our all-time high attendance. I think God's up to something, and I cannot wait to see what He does at Easter. Now, before we begin reading the story here, I want to share with you some background. Again, we're talking about David. So now we have fast-forwarded from Moses another 400 years, and David is king. And not only is he king, he is the king by which every king that follows him will be measured. But here's the thing that you and I know about King David. He is far from perfect. He is a flawed man. He stumbles into sin, and it's a struggle in his life. And maybe you can identify with that. Maybe at times your sin is, is constantly in front of you. The passage that we're going to be looking at today actually happens later in his life. He's just come through a war that he's won against the Philistines. In fact, the Philistines, this enemy nation that he is often at war at, they are kind of like the bookends uh, of his life and his service as king. In fact, most of you remember David's first battle, don't you? Little shepherd boy David, he goes up against the Philistine champion. And what was that Philistine's name? It's Goliath. Goliath. And, and David wins a big victory. 
And when you, when you come to where we are in the story today, he's just finished another war with the Philistines, and this will be his last war with the Philistines. And get this, they killed a guy that was the brother of Goliath. And it's like the scripture writer is giving you bookends. That David has now gone full circle and he's coming near the end. But even in the end, even after the victory, David struggles with sin. And this was his sin. He decided to conduct a census. He's going to count the nation. Now we hear that and immediately we're like, what? How in the world is that a sin? Right? It doesn't sound like a sin. But the reason that David was going to have this census was because it served a military purpose. He wanted to know, how many more fighting men do I have? How strong is my army? And so you need to look at the census kind of this way. God had just delivered him in an amazing way just like God delivered him in the very first battle in an amazing way but David out of fear maybe or maybe out of pride he wanted to know how strong is my army because he felt his security was in his military strength and not in the Lord. That was his sin. It was faithlessness. Now here's the crazy thing about this census. David had a general named Joab. And Joab, his general, comes to him at first breath of this census and he begs him, do not do it. Listen, don't you think that would have been a clue? That when his general comes to him and says, listen, trust the god trust god don't trust in the strength of your army that should have been a nudge but david just prevails and he orders him just do it and david becomes in this story a picture of what job 32 9 says age is no guarantee of wisdom and understanding even in his advancing age after a lifetime of walking with the lord David is still struggling with sin. What about you? Is that true in your own life? Listen, listen, I've told you before that one of the things that I felt like the Lord revealed to me several years ago, in fact, it was January 2017. I went back and looked it up even this morning. One of the things the Lord told me in, in that season was, Kevin, you really have one job left. Your job is to finish well. Listen, I've seen so many friends in ministry, and I've seen so many heroes in my own walk of faith. I've seen them fall in their last chapters. And i got to tell you, that, that has haunted me. And the Lord has, has said to me, listen, you have one job left, finish well. And listen, while we may not understand all the nuances of what was going on in David's own sin struggle, this much is clear. He was not acting on faith and trust and reliance on God. He was relying upon his 
own strength. And listen, about the time that the census is complete, David awakens to his failure. And listen to his confession. He said this in verse 10. But after he had taken the census, David's conscience began to bother him. And he said to the Lord, I've sinned greatly by taking this sentence. Please, census, please forgive my guilt, Lord, for doing this foolish thing. And this is the lesson that we're going to learn today through the story of David. And it's simply this. What are you going to do with your sin? What are you going to do with your sin? Because let's be honest. Every one of us have to struggle with us. And that's what this story is about. And the thing about sin, you and I have to always remember that this story will reveal to us is that, sto- that sin always leads to death in one facet or another. James 1, 14 and 15 says this, temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And David's not the only one who's going to pay for his sin. In fact, his nation is going to pay for the price of his sin because a plague falls on the nation and 70,000 people die as a result. Listen, when a leader sins, the people are often the collateral damage. When a leader sins, the people are often the collateral damage. That's why when I received that message from the Lord several years ago, Kevin, you have one job, finish well. I also realized that I needed to communicate that to our elders, and and, and my nudge to the elders was not just that I wanted to finish well, but, but I even said to my elders, listen, my job is to finish well, but your job as elders is this. If I don't finish well, it is your job to finish me. And I got to tell you, there were a couple of guys sitting around the table who seemed to like that idea. I'm, I'm I'm just kidding. But that's the story here. A story of a king who didn't finish well, and it cost his people dearly. A man after God's own heart who after all these years is still struggling with sin. What are you going to do with your sin? Well, the way out of David's sin, it shouldn't surprise you. God tells him, i got to take you to a spot. The very spot that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks, a spot where sin is defeated and forgiveness is born. So let's begin reading now. 2 Samuel chapter 24 and we're going to start with verse 15 it's about halfway through uh, the story but we're going to pick it up right here in verse 15 so the lord sent a plague upon israel that morning and it lasted for three days a total of seventy thousand people died throughout the nation from dan in the north to Beersheba in the south But as the angel was preparing to destroy Jerusalem, 
the Lord relented and said to the death angel, Stop, that is enough. At that moment, the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. When David saw the angel, he said to the Lord, I am the one who has sinned and done wrong. But these people are as innocent as sheep. What have they done? Let your anger fall against me and my family. That day, Gad came to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. So David went up to do what the Lord had commanded him. When Arana saw the king and his men coming toward him, he came and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Why have you come, my lord, the king, Arana asked. And David replied, I have come to buy your threshing floor and to build an altar to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. Take it, my lord, the king, and use it as you wish, Arana said to David. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and you can use the threshing boards and the ox yokes for wood to build a fire on the altar. I will give it all to you, your majesty, and may the Lord your God accept your sacrifice. But the king replied to Arana, No, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. And David built an offering there to the Lord. And he sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the Lord answered his prayer for the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. Now, the three things that I want us to look at in this story. First of all, I want us to look closely at King David and what's going on in him. Then secondly, I want us to drill down on this idea of the threshing floor. What is the meaning of that, the threshing floor? And then finally, I want us to spend a little time looking at that angel, the angel with the sword, as we will see. And one of the things that you need to understand in all three of these pictures that we're going to look at is that the theme of all of this is simply the question, and what are you going to do with your sin? So first, let's look at King David. Twice in this chapter, back in verse 10, before we began reading, David says, I have sinned greatly. And then in verse 17, where we read just a moment ago, he says, I'm the one who has sinned and done wrong. I want you to see this about King David. David saw and acknowledged his sin. And the truth about every one of us is that we need to see our sin. We need to acknowledge 
our sin. In fact, you need to understand that's the work of the Holy Spirit in this world and in your life. In John 16, 8, the Bible reminds us that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of its sin. Have you ever had that feeling in your life where you just knew Ah, I crossed the line. I failed again. I gave in to the temptation. The Holy Spirit works in a way where he can nudge our conscience. And his job is to point it out. Our job, once he has pointed it out, is to learn to listen more and more, to be growing in our awareness of what the Spirit is saying to us. And the problem that David has in this story is in part because, listen, David just wasn't paying attention. He just wasn't paying attention to what was going on around him. Like I already mentioned back in verse 3, Joab, his general, tries to dissuade the king. Don't do this, he begs the king. Do you know that sometimes God will put just the right person in your path at just the right time who will say just the right thing and that is to awaken in you an awareness that you're about to step into a mess are you listening but that wasn't that wasn't all that wasn't the only warning if you look back at verse 10 it implies that there was a growing nudge in david's own heart the way it's translated in our version is this David's conscience began to bother him in other words it started and he didn't pay a lot of attention but it continued to happen it's like it was growing in other words David missed the first nudge if he'd been paying attention maybe he would have caught it listen have you ever experienced that yourself you you, you get that feeling but you ignore it and then it grows and it grows, and it grows, and it grows until you can't ignore it. But that's not all. Not only did he have the warning of Joab, not only did he have this growing conscientiousness, but David also, well, he just didn't learn from his past. I mean, this isn't the first time he's caught in a situation just like this. You remember the story of Bathsheba, don't you? Do you remember how God confronted him, that God sent Nathan David's seer to go and confront the king himself listen when you look at it this time God does the same thing almost exactly on repeat in verse 11 it said this the next morning the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad who was David's seer and he said and the Lord said to him go and say to David this is what the Lord says don't you imagine when his prophet came through the door and confirmed that nudge it was almost like deja vu Man, I've been here before. Why didn't I see this happening? Isn't that just like us? We don't often learn the lessons from the past. Listen, when my girls were growing up, I used to quote to them over and over again, and they never did like it. Proverbs 26, 11. And that verse says this, As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. I, I don't know why they didn't like that verse, but it's so true. You see it all the time in the lives of people around us. We do the same problem over and over again. You know, we say to ourselves, well, I, 
I will never go there again. And then we go there. I will never see him again. Then we see him. I will, I will just never buy Oreos again because I know what they're going to do to me. And then the cart's full of Oreos. I will never have that drink again. And, and we find ourselves there again. And here's the thing in David's story. You can see him falling into the same pattern. But the key is, do you see that in your own story? Do you have the ability to see that is what happens in your life? And the Bible tells us that sin always works in death. Not, not just physical death, but eternal death, spiritual death. Here's the point. Sin is always going to cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. Sin will always cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. And that's why David cries out in verse 17. Listen to him. He says, I am the one who has sinned and done wrong. These people are innocent as sheep. What have they done? Let your anger fall against me and my family. David is the shepherd. And he sees the nation as the sheep and he realizes that his sin has cost them and he owned his sin can you do that what are you going to do with your sin well the first step is this i must own my sin i have to own it i'm the one who did it i'm the one who earned it Listen, I can remember what, what I believe might be uh, my first consciousness of sin in, in my life, and it, it all revolved around this little, ugly, ceramic dog that belonged to my dad. How, how many of you have one of these? That's what I figured. Just me. Just me. It sat on my dad's dresser. And at the end of the day, my dad would come in and he would put his ring on that dog. He would put his watch on that dog. He would empty his pockets of pocket change and he would put that on that dog. And I remember a moment in my childhood where I was in my parents' room and I looked on that dresser at that coin-laden dog and I thought to myself, he wouldn't miss it. He obviously doesn't need it or he wouldn't leave it laying around here. And I swiped a quarter. And I went back later. And I swiped a couple more quarters. And then it became a pattern in my life that I would just happen to find myself at the end of the day near my dad's dresser and it would continue to increase. And let me tell you, there came a day when the conviction that I had in my heart was just unbearable. How in the world could you do this? How could a son do that to his father? And I remember as a kid going to my dad and confessing to him and asking forgiveness and brought back everything that I'd taken and I, and I gave it to him. I owned my sin. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, oh, come on, Kevin. That's your most recent story of sin? No. 
No, that's, that's not my most recent story of sin. You want to know more about my sin? Well, tough. That's none of your business. The point isn't that you need to know everybody else's sin. The point is, can you own your own sin? You see, like David, we need to see it. We need to feel it. We need to confess our sin, and then we need to take the next step. And the next step for David and for you and me is this. You've got to get to the threshing floor. You've got to get to the threshing floor. Now, this is going to take a little bit of, of explanation because most of us don't deal with threshing floors. Verse 18, it said, That day Gad came to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. That, that seems like an odd solution for sin. I mean, we get the idea of an altar. An altar is a place where, you know, you deal with your sin. But, but why a threshing floor? Now, a threshing floor was a place of handling harvested grain. And typically, it was on a hill. Because you would, you would beat that grain, and then you would throw that grain and chaff into the wind. And, and you remember, this was on a hill, because this is the place where God said to Abraham, I'm going to take you to this mountain. And, and so you would, you would be on this hill because the wind would blow, and it would catch the chaff. And so there on the threshing floor, they pound the grain, they separate the grain from the chaff, they throw it into the air, the wind would blow, and it takes out of the grain that which is worthless. And that process is called winnowing. Winnowing. You separate the grain from the chaff, that which is valuable from that which is worthless. And let me tell you, there is so much symbolism in this threshing floor. In fact, do you remember that John the baptizer, when he first identified Jesus, he identifies him with this precise language. Matthew 3, 11 and 12 says this, John speaking, he says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy to be his slave and even carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and he is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork and then he will clean up the threshing area gathering the wheat into his barn and burning up the chaff with never ending fire essentially what he was saying is Jesus is the threshing floor in other words Jesus is the great divide he is the one by whom we all will be judged. He's going to be one who determines if we pass to life or if we pass to destruction. Do you see it? The threshing floor is a place of separation, and it symbolizes the pending judgment of God. And you need to get this. The threshing floor is the place where divine wrath and mercy collide 
The threshing floor is the place where divine wrath and mercy collide. And David gets it. He knows that this altar, this place, is to atone for his own sin. And he understands it comes with a price. In fact, when he comes to Arana, the owner, the Jebusite, he responds to his king as anyone should. He bows down before his king, and then listen to what he says in verse 22. He says, take it, my lord. Use it as you wish. Here's the oxen, the burnt offering. You can use the threshing boards, the ox yokes for the wood to build a fire on the altar. I will give it all to you, your majesty, and may the Lord your God accept your sacrifice. But David understood the nature of personal sacrifice, and he says to him, I will not give to the Lord that which cost me nothing. And the point is this, when it comes to my sin, not only do I need to own my sin, but I must atone for my sin. Listen, that word atone, it's just a fancy church word, Bible word that literally means at one. Being at one with God. Atone means at one. And so as a little boy, when I went to ask forgiveness of my dad, I gathered up all that money that I had stolen. And I decided, you know what, that's not enough. And so then I took more money that was mine because I knew I needed to pay it all. And I took it and I gave it to my dad. And David understood to be at one with God means the deepest devotion. He said, I must pay it all. But here's the problem I had as a little boy and that David had as the king. You can't pay it all. There is no sacrifice, no altar, no gift that takes away our sin. And even David gets a glimpse of this in this last image that I want you to see, this angel with a sword. Now, verse 16 described it this way. It said, But as the angel was preparing to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord relented and said to the death angel, Stop, that is enough. Now, in the book of First Chronicles, this story is told again. And in verse 16 there, it tells us one other little detail that I want you to hear. David looked up, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth, with his sword drawn, reaching out over Jerusalem. So in your mind, I want you to picture this. You see this, this angel, this being, standing there with, with a sword, an outstretched blade, ready to strike. And the reason I want you to picture that is because I want to ask you this question. Does that strike any note of familiarity in you as you have read in other places in the Bible? 
Because listen to this picture from Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. Jesus is described as one with a sharp two-edged sword. And listen to these words from Jesus himself in Matthew 10, 34. He said, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. And one of the very last images that we see of Jesus in all the Bible is found in Revelation 19, 15 that says this, but from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations and he will rule them with an iron rod and he will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. Listen, all of those pictures point to Jesus as a being with a stretched out sword. And I think what that is to do for us is we are to see that it's almost as if Jesus himself is standing at this place where divine wrath and mercy are about to collide at the very place that God has already chosen as the place where his name would be honored, the very spot. So we come back to the question that David needed to answer and that we need to answer. What are you going to do with your sin? Well, first you've got to own it. And when you own it, then you're going to realize in some form or fashion you're going to have to attempt to atone for it. But the answer from the very beginning to the end of all eternity is simply this. The answer to our sin is always Jesus alone. And I want you to watch and see how this unfolds in this story. Listen again to what it said in verse 16. But as the angel was preparing to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord relented and said to the death angel, Stop, that is enough. The Hebrew word there, relented, translated relented, it's one of those word pictures. And it's a word that means to grieve. It's a word that means to take a deep physical breath. Those moments of great grief in our life where we cannot help but we... We just, we just groan with the agony. That's the picture here. It is a deep gasp or sigh. And you know what? That, that same word was just used a few chapters before this, and it was describing David's response at the death of his son, and he gasped in grief. And notice this, when that sword is drawn and the angel steps to the threshing floor on that very spot, who is it but the Lord God himself who gasps and declares, Stop! It is enough. You know, that, that picture almost reminds me of Abraham standing there long before with his son bound and his arm outstretched with the knife 
and the father cries out, don't harm the boy. Abraham had done enough. In fact, what I see in this moment is Jesus, the Son of God, stepping onto that very place where God's judgment and wrath are going to collide with God's mercy and grace in the life of Jesus himself. And that pang of grief strikes God the Father and he cries out, Stop! It is enough. And the truth is, Jesus is enough. In fact, he's the only answer for my sin problem. He's the only answer for your sin problem. The Bible puts it this way in Hebrews 9, 28. Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. So my question for you today is this. Have you accepted him? Have you come to him? You see, the first time when Jesus comes in the flesh to this very place, he finished all the business that there was to be conducted with our sin. John 3.16 puts it this way, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Jesus is the place where God's judgment and wrath and God's mercy and grace meet. That gasp of grief from the Father, it wasn't just for the Son. It was also for you. It was God declaring, Jesus is enough. But you've got to own it. You must choose Jesus to atone for it. And at this very spot, even today, the Lord makes a way for you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father and our Lord, we thank you for the hope that is ours through the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We recognize that just like David before us, every one of us, Every one of us struggles with sin in our life. And just like David, it's, it's not just a one-time struggle. It is a lifetime journey. But Father, help us to recognize today that what Jesus Christ has done for us, it is enough. And I pray that those that are listening, those that are watching, that in this moment right now would turn to you and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We pray this in His name. Amen. Let me invite you to stand and to respond as the Lord moves in your heart today.